0: This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. Oh! <laughs> McCourt for the win in the it air. It. it is up and it is good. Fourth and sixteen. Pressure him. comes and Matt baby with the ball in the air makes the catch. Yes. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastorek. Wow! 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 What a wild, wacky end to the 2023 football season. A fitting end, some would say. The Illini falling to Northwestern in dramatic fashion, 45-43. Northwestern wins the hats. They win their 7th game of the season, and Illinois loses its 7th game of the season. Uh, there was an outside chance that the Illini, even at 5-7, and seven, could still qualify for a bowl game. That scenario will not come to fruition. So the Fighting Illini football season officially done an end to what was a very upsetting season, a frustrating season. Expectations were very high. Optimism was high. And now heading into the new Big Ten in 24, there's virtually no expectation and no optimism. So uh, we'll discuss the ramifications of... The end of the season, we'll wrap things up. It was a season of milestones, a lot of individual accolades, some notable performances that we do need to acknowledge, especially for those Illini that will not be returning. Johnny Newton had announced prior to the Northwestern game that win or lose – This would be his final appearance in an Illini uniform. He would not be participating in a bowl game if the Illini qualified. And we now know that they will not be competing in a bowl game. So Johnny Newton wraps up his stellar career in Champaign. We'll have more on that. Maybe the last game for Isaiah Williams, perhaps. He has another year of eligibility if he wants it. Um, It was a bittersweet game for Isaiah Williams. Had some really cool moments, some individual accolades that were achieved, but also a very costly play in Saturday's contest. I hope that that's not the final memory we have of Isaiah Williams. So again, if you missed anything from the game, I'll recap that momentarily and also look ahead to what's going to be an eventful and surely tumultuous offseason. There's going to be a lot of decisions being made to impact the near-term and long-term future of the Illinois Fighting Illini football program. There's no question about that. Who's making the decisions we don't really know yet, But there's definitely some coaching decisions that have to be made. Some roster construction decisions absolutely need to be made. We'll dive into all that here in a little bit. But men's and women's basketball also in action. Don't want to forget about hoops. Lots to get into there. We'll take a look around the past week in fighting Illini Athletics, and I'll give you a preview of some of the things you can read and see at thechampagneroom.com as well so consider this an extra plate of leftovers on the post thanksgiving episode of oski talk and Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville, LLC. You can purchase officially licensed Illinois merchandise at Liddyville.com. They have a player alumni line where all purchases will benefit current alumni, student athletes or University of Illinois organizations and charities. So you can create an account Place an order at Liddyville.com. You can also follow them on X at Littyville Gear. That's L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. As I said earlier, I did want to take a quick look at the previous week in fighting Illini Athletics. Not a ton on the schedule because of the holiday, but volleyball was in action this weekend, Friday and Saturday nights, and unfortunately, things did not go well for Chris Thomas's club. Illinois swept by Minnesota on Friday evening 20 25, 21 25, and 17 25. Just a 107 hitting percentage for Illinois. Raina Terry did lead the charge with 18 kills. Brooke Mosier with 27 assists and nine digs, but it was not enough uh, to even take a set from the golden gophers on Friday. Then Illinois unable to bounce back on Saturday, being swept by Northwestern in Evanston. Not a good week for the Illini versus Northwestern. (laughs) It just didn't go well at all, specifically on Saturday. Uh, So the final... In that's of uh, a 15 25, 15 25, and 16 25. So neither of those three sets particularly close as well. Raina Terry, 13 kills and 10 digs for Illinois. Brooke Mosier finished with 31 assists. Caroline Barnes with 13 digs. Um, but the stats, yeah, not very impressive for Illinois. A 0 8 8 hitting percentage Northwestern with seven service aces and just one for the fighting Illini. This was the regular season finale. So Illinois dropping both matches this weekend, falling to 16 and 14 and concluding big 10 play 11 and nine. So definitely not the season. Chris Thomas was hoping for, Looked like Illinois. It seems like we talk about this with every sport, but looked like they had turned a bit of a corner. They were playing really good volleyball, and just faded late in the season. So, uh, does not appear to be any postseason in the offing for Chris Thomas and Illinois volleyball. Again, their season wraps up at 16 and 14, and 11 and 9 in league play. That was a light week on the hoop side. Let's start with the men's squad. Brad Underwood's team playing Western Illinois on Friday night. It's an 84-52 victory. I will echo the sentiments of the Champagne Room. I are saying that it was criminal that a holiday break game would be on at 8 p.m. Central Time. <laughs> A Friday night game, 8 p.m., with all the activity, the flurry of games and everything that was happening over the holiday festivities. That seemed to get kind of drowned out, got buried way, 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 way down in the pile. A lot of the students weren't in attendance in Champaign as they were still on break, but it was still a nice showing by the Fighting Illini 84-52. 84-52. They improved to 5-1 and one on the young season. More on that in just a moment. Illinois led by 17 at the half and just kept that going. Didn't really let up. Illinois led from start to finish. We've seen some blowout victories thus far, but not always looking that easy. Illinois didn't really scuffle much at all in this one. Terrence Shannon Jr., Continuing his stellar play, 19 more points for him, six of eight from triples. His 16th straight double digit scoring game, dating back to last season. To this point, six games in, so about a fifth of the way through the season. TSJ averaging 19 and a half points per game, 49% from the field, and 44% from three-point range. So he has been locked in to this point. He's been every bit the all-Big Ten player we've expected him to be. But this was a game where Illinois, again, showed their depth. They spread the wealth quite a bit. Dane Danger, 16 points and 8 rebounds. Again, he is so efficient in the paint. 7 of 10 from the floor. Also hit both of his free throw tries, which is noteworthy for Dane Danger specifically. Quincy Garrier, another double-double for him. 10 points, 15 rebounds, and 4 blocks as well. So really nice defensive effort from Quincy Garrier. And then you had Ty Rogers with 9 points and 4 rebounds. Dre gibbs Lawhorn nine points and four rebounds. Luke Goody, nine points as well. Three of seven from three-point range. He added five rebounds. Marcus Damask at eight points and four rebounds. So again, really a lot of activity going on for the Illini against the Leathernecks on Friday night, doing what we would expect them to do against a lesser opponent. So not much to really discuss regarding that game other than Illinois did what they ought to do. So now they're 5-1, and one, that lone loss coming to Marquette. There was a lot of discourse one of our articles at the Champagne Room about the loss to Marquette looking really good and then the inevitable no loss is a good loss like, stop it. You're not going to win every game. No one's going undefeated. You played a top five team You lost by seven points, in which Coleman Hawkins, your second best player, presumably entering the season, didn't play. But that loss is not going to hurt Illinois. A win would have helped them, of course, solidify a March resume, but that loss isn't going to harm them in any way, shape, or form. If they were on the bubble for some reason, that loss to Marquette's not going to be the deciding thing that tips the scale. It was a game that they played against a very good team that they lost. To me, it shows that Illinois is a good team. They're not a great team, at least not yet. They played a better team and fell short. That's it. There's no tea leaves to read. There's no long-term ramifications about this game. But that said, this next five-game stretch is pretty important. If we're talking about March, it's still a little early to talk about bracketology, but these next five games are going to be a big test. You start off Big Ten play at Rutgers. That's... Saturday, the 2nd, it's a 3 o'clock game on BTN. Then on Tuesday, the 5th, you face off with FAU at MSG in the Jimmy V. Then you're at Tennessee the following Saturday, December 9th. You host Colgate on the 17th, and you've got Bragging Rights versus Mizzou on the 22nd. It's only one home game between now and Christmas, that's a rough stretch. And you're playing five very tough opponents. This is where the rubber's going to meet the road. Illinois did what they should have done the first six games of the year had all of them at home. The one they were most likely to lose, they lost. They won the other five. So I'm cool with that. There's no. Slip-ups, there's no stumbles. A loss to Valpo or WIU is going to hurt them way worse than a loss to Marquette would. So it goes back to what Tristan Kissick and I talked about a few weeks ago in the podcast, and that if you can get, of these five, if you can get three wins out of that five, that's really good. Four out of five would be tremendous. Anything worse than three and two then we can start to have concern about this team. Getting a win at Rutgers, getting a Big Ten victory in the holster, that's going to be huge. I don't want to say it's more important than those other four games, but Illinois struggled early in Big Ten play each of the last two seasons. So to get a victory on the road, tough environment, they've had a hard time with Rutgers, at the rack, in years past, that's going to be a big development. Getting a, a conference victory early in the season, getting off to a good start there. So I, I projected the non-conference at eight and three, so that would leave room for a split of these other four games. I'm still on the fence about FAU. The national media seems to like him. I know when I was talking with Tristan Kissick a few weeks ago, I was still on the fence. I'm like. Are they the next Gonzaga or are they the next George Mason? My guess is they're going to be somewhere in the middle. They're probably going to be like those VCU teams or like those Butler teams of the late aughts and early 2010s. Maybe they're going to be a powerhouse. Time will tell. But if Illinois can win that game, that'll scuttle that at least for a a moment. And I'm really looking forward to this Tennessee game. I'll be in Knoxville. So that's probably guaranteeing a loss. But (laughs) Um, but I'm interested in that game. Both teams pride themselves on defense. Tennessee is very balanced. They're really good offensively. And they're really tight defensively. Again, it's a road game against a ranked opponent, a team that, was predicted to win their conference entering the year. I want to see a competitive game. I want to see Illinois win. I would not be surprised if they don't win. And I'll just leave it at that. And Colgate, we talked about Colgate for months about how you shouldn't underestimate them. That's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch. It is at home, so that should probably help you. They're a really good team in a weak conference. But they've got you know, good Ken Palm ratings. They've had high RPIs. They're, they're a pretty solid program. And, of course, Mizzou. You want to beat Mizzou. If I had to pick, if I'm saying Illinois is going to split these four games, which ones would I rather they win? I would rather they beat Colgate at home and beat Mizzou. Those would be the two I'd prefer to win just because you know, Colgate's a home game and Mizzou is Mizzou. But if they can steal one of those other ones, if they can beat FAU in the Garden, if they can beat Tennessee and Knoxville, that's going to be a huge notch in the resume. That's going to really help them in March. They're going to need a couple of quality non-conference wins in addition to whatever they do in the Big Ten. Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville, LLC. You can pick up officially licensed Illini merchandise and support current athletes and University of Illinois alumni organizations and charities by going to Liddyville.com. You can also follow them on X at Liddyville gear. Again, all that merchandise is officially licensed. they have got a couple of signature items like the family white six panel snapback hat, support the movement by placing an order today at Liddyville.com. Moving on now to women's basketball. Shauna Green's team improving to three and two on the young season. They took down Canisius over the weekend, ninety to fifty-eight. The final Sunday afternoon in Champaign, Illini led wire to wire, had a fifty to thirty-one lead at halftime, and it was another big game for Genesis Bryant. She's really taking over the lead role as Makaira Cook has worked her way back from injury. Genesis Bryant, 21 points on the afternoon, was 7 of 9 from the field and 5 for 5 from the foul line. She had 13 points in the first half and was perfect from the floor in the opening 20 minutes. 3 for 3 from the field, hit both 3-point attempts and all 5 of her free throws. I mentioned Makaira Cook a bit earlier. It's her first home game this season, finished with six points and five rebounds. Again, I I think Illinois will improve incrementally as she works her way back, as she gets healthier. So good to see her uh, getting some more regular action. Adalia McKenzie, another fine effort for her. 15 points, seven rebounds, and three steals she's been a good secondary or tertiary option for shauna green early this season another strong effort from camille hobby off the bench 12 points six rebounds and a block in 18 minutes and it was a career day for gretchen dolan the freshman 11 points in 18 minutes, she was also four for four from the free throw line. It's a blowout game. You can bring in some extra players, give them some additional minutes, but that was the best game of Gretchen Dolan's young Illini career. Overall, Illinois shooting 50% from the field, 32 of 64, but surprisingly, just 3 of 19 from beyond the arc, just 15.8% from three, but excellent from the free throw line. Illinois finishing 23 of 27 Sunday afternoon and also recorded 50 points in the paints. As for the opposition, the Golden Griffins of Canisius, they were 12 of 31 from two-point range and 10 of 27 from three. So Illinois wins that game by 32 and that's with Kenetius knocking in 10 three pointers and Illinois hitting just three. So that game could have been even more lopsided if some threes were falling for the Fighting Illini. So Illinois improving to three and two. Shauna Green getting a blowout win against her alma mater. Fighting Illini back home Wednesday night, taking on Central Connecticut State. The Blue Devils will enter that game one and five, and they just lost by 26 to Fairfield. So I would expect another comfy, stress-free win for the Orange and Blue. That's coming up again Wednesday night on Big Ten Plus at 6 p.m. Central Time. All right, so in case you hadn't heard or seen it, Saturday did mark the end of fighting Illini football in 2023. A 45-43 loss to Northwestern. So the Wildcats snap that two-game losing skid. They take back the hat, the Land of Lincoln Trophy. It was a wild game, not just because the Wildcats were the opponent, but it was a microcosm of Illinois' season. A game where the other team seemingly handed the Illini an opportunity to win the game, and Illinois fumbled it, both literally and figuratively in this case. A game in which Illinois outgained the opposition yet again, but a game in which Illinois made lots of mistakes, were unable to close out A game in the fourth quarter, even in that Indiana game a couple weeks ago, Illinois could barely shut the door against the Hoosiers. Had 662 yards of offense, 507 passing yards from John Paddock, and it was still barely enough to get a win against Indiana. And then Iowa, a victory in their grasp. In the fourth quarter, can't finish the job. Hawkeyes win it 15-13. So you saw the high-octane offense in the Indiana game. You saw the offense struggle to move the ball at times against a very good Iowa defense. And then you saw this game on Saturday where Illinois, again, started off moving the ball well. Defense could not make stops. The offense continued to show up and try to make plays, push the ball down the field, lots of explosive plays, and yet Illinois, with some self-inflicted wounds, cost themselves the game and cost themselves a chance for bowl eligibility. I know that we are not... Ohio State, we're not Michigan, Illinois is not even Wisconsin or Iowa at this point, despite Brett Bielema's best efforts to turn the Illini into like a diet version of those programs. But back-to-back bowl games in Champaign is a worthy accomplishment, and Illinois could not get the job done. Yes, there was some sketchy officiating. It seems like that always happens in the Big Ten. However way you slice it, whether it goes for your team or against your team, there were some, I think, egregiously bad calls in this game that may or may not have impacted the finish. There was one that certainly impacted the score. I'll get to that in a minute. But nonetheless, Illinois finishes... Five and seven, three and six in the Big Ten, and one and five in the Big Ten West. One and five in what is undoubtedly the worst division in Power Five. It wouldn't have salvaged the season as a whole, but at least get into a bowl game, beating your rival, securing back to back bowl bids. It would have represented a modicum of success. Maybe some kind of corner being turned. And now we're back where we started, seemingly. Uh, so uh, again, we'll we'll discuss the ramifications and what I think the off-season plan should be in a little bit. But let's get to the game. Again, the final score, Northwestern 45. Illinois 43, if only it were that simple. Big plays on offense, defense, special teams, specifically towards the end of the halves, or at least second quarter and fourth quarter. Now, I had sort of done away with this after the Wisconsin game, but I think... It's important to jump back into this because there were some standout performances from Saturday, but there were also some that deserve to be pointed out negatively as well. So I'm bringing back the cheers and jeers. The most obvious jeer starts with Aaron Henry fighting Illini, defensive coordinator. Could very likely be one and done as Illinois' D.C., Now, on the surface, you look at the statistics, and they don't tell the complete tale. Illinois did outgain Northwestern in this game. Wildcats had 379 yards. That's not like an egregiously bad number. It's not a number you want to give up, but it's not, you know, it's not horrifically bad. 379 total. Northwestern ran for 145 yards, 3.9 yards per carry. Northwestern, 4 of 11 on third down. So again, not, you know, their offense wasn't automatic. But specifically, I'm looking at the passing game here. Ben Bryant, Northwestern's quarterback, 24 of 32, 234 yards, two TDs, two interceptions. So he was efficient, didn't throw for a ton of yards but it was Aaron Henry's insistence on this man-to-man coverage for most of this game. He did not really change looks very often on Saturday, and Mike Bajakian, the Northwestern offensive coordinator, noticed it, as coaches tend to do, and kept going after it. You saw the same pass plays throughout the game. And they weren't getting huge chunks. It wasn't like they were 20, 25, 30-yard plays repeatedly. But it was enough to extend drives, move the sticks. It seemed like Aaron Henry just was not willing to adjust on defense whatsoever, especially when you consider Illinois lost two more guys in the secondary due to injury during the game. Injuries have been a huge problem for the secondary this season. It's not an excuse, but you can tie that to some of the struggles the secondary's had. No Matthew Bailey. He played one half of one game. Demetrius Hill, who is a highly touted transfer, didn't play all year due to injury. And then you have... Xavier Scott and Taz Nicholson go out in this game. So we know what Illinois had to overcome last year, losing Sidney Brown and Quan Martin, Devin Witherspoon, Kendall Smith. We already knew that was an uphill climb. The depth was going to be tested. And then you lose two other guys in the same game due to injury. And Northwestern went after... The secondary. We saw a lot of Zachary Toby, a lot of Tyler Strain, Miles Scott, who I'll get to in a minute, had a a memorable play in this game. Nicario Harper. But it's like Aaron Henry was trying to copy Ryan Walters. It's like Ryan Walters had written this book or written these plays down and Aaron Henry just put white out on the name and wrote his name on it. And I think that's something you can trace to why Purdue just absolutely annihilated Illinois defense. It's like Ryan Walters knew exactly what Illinois was going to do. He created the template for it. Aaron Henry has looked like he wasn't ready for prime time. And I get it. He's a Bielema guy. He played under Bielema at Wisconsin. Their relationship dates back years and years and years. It's hard to pull the plug, especially after one year. But I think that's definitely a conversation you need to have. And yes, it was unfair to expect Illinois' defense to just pick up where it left off. That was not a reasonable expectation. I mentioned those four guys earlier. Spoon, Quan, Kendall Smith, Sidney Brown. Four excellent players, three of whom are playing in the NFL right now. I think eight players total departed that defense. So, were they going to replicate or duplicate those numbers from a season ago? Absolutely not. That was not fair to pin that on Aaron Henry. But you got to do better than this. Another thing I want to address is the end of half defense. Cuz that was a huge problem. Toledo did it to Illinois starting week 1. Kansas did it starting week 2. When there's seven or eight examples of this that happened throughout the season. But Illinois had momentum on their side seemingly going into halftime of this game. Illinois gets a pick six from Miles Scott. They grab the lead. It's 20 to 14 late in the second quarter. There's like a minute nine left, minute 10, something like that. Miles Scott picks off an overthrow from Bryant, runs it in. Illinois gets the lead for the first time on the day. And it looked like they were turning a bit of a corner there. And then Northwestern goes seven plays, 75 yards in one minute and one second. They go right down the field, almost as if on cue. I saw the Champagne Room tweeted it out. It was like, The weekly, we let the opposing team drive right down the field to end the half. (laughs) Because it's happened so often. It reminded me of that Kansas game a little bit. If we go all the way back to week two, Illinois was getting run off the field by Kansas. It was 21 to nothing to start that game. And Illinois got a touchdown late in the half. To pull within 21-7, you're like, okay, maybe this is something that'll get them some momentum. Maybe it's something that'll wake them up a little bit. There's like 50 seconds left in the half, something like that. And Kansas goes like 85 yards in about 30 seconds <laughs> to go of 28-7, and then that was that was it. It felt like that. Because this was a back-and-forth game. Northwestern led for most of it. But it was a pretty competitive back-and-forth affair. that gave Northwestern a one-point lead at the half. We know they win by two, ultimately. Um, But that's another bad blemish on the resume of Aaron Henry. But specifically allowing those quick drives to end halves not putting anyone in a good position. So Aaron Henry gets a jeer from me. I saw a lot of tweets, a lot of posts from various Illini accounts saying, Brad Bieleman needs to have a long conversation with Aaron Henry in the offseason. I don't know if it's a long conversation, but it's definitely a conversation. I don't know if, if Jim Leonard is the guy you bring in to fix it. Remember, he was an analyst this year, basically coaching the coaches. We know what he was able to do at Wisconsin for all those years. It seemed like a coup at the time for Brett Bielema to bring him in in that analyst role. Maybe you put him in the in the uh, the D.C. chair. I don't know if that's the answer. I think Aaron Henry did okay as the DB's coach when he was under Ryan Walters. But was that more Ryan Walters? We don't know. It's hard to really pinpoint it. But I would be very surprised. And year one, it's hard to yank a guy. But Brent Bielema already did it with Tony Peterson following 2021 on the offensive side. And again, you've got that personal tie, that personal relationship. But it's a business, right? That's the cliche. It's a business. You've got to understand the business of it. Your job as a head coach is to win games. Your job is to win games. And this defense cost Illinois too many games this season. You've got to address it. So I'll move on from that. I feel like it's not the last time we're going to talk about Aaron Henry this offseason. There are some individual defensive players that deserve credit, that deserve some cheer. So I will do that. I mentioned Miles Scott before. He had his second pick six of the season. I think he's got both of Illinois' defensive touchdowns this season as well. So got one in week one, helped Illinois escape against Toledo. Toledo, who was 11-1, by the way. Their only loss of the year was to Illinois in week one. Might have cost them a spot in a New Year's Six game. Hard to to believe that. But we, we said at the start of the season that, Toledo was a really good squad and not sleep on them. That wasn't a game Illinois was just going to cruise past. Toledo was a damn good team. Uh, But anyway, Miles Scott, you've probably heard the story by now. A walk-on wide receiver. Switches to defense prior to the season. Made that immediate contribution, that pick six week one. He had another one on Saturday. At the time... That gave Illinois a 20-14 to 14 lead in the second quarter. So he has responded very well. I think he's a guy you try to retain as much as you can. He's a guy you can line up in the secondary and feel pretty confident about. Especially for a guy playing a brand new position, he did about as well as you could ask for him to play. Six tackles and that pick six for Miles Scott. He gets a cheer. Dylan Rosiak also getting a cheer from me. Nine tackles in the game, also a TFL and a forced fumble. Dylan Rosiak forced a fumble on the goal line. I think it was Tyus, the running back for Northwestern. Dylan Rosiak did the little peanut punch. Illinois couldn't recover it. I don't think Rosiak ever even knew where the ball was or if the ball had been fumbled at all. But he punches it out and... No one in Illinois can find the football. One of the Cats' O linemen falls on it. So he gets credit for the touchdown, the zero-yard touchdown. But it was a nice heads-up defensive play by rosieck to, to try to punch that football out. He really emerged late in the year. He and Otaluga both. Otaluga obviously got injured against Iowa. I think if he comes back healthy... Odaluga and Rosiak will be a nice duo at linebacker. Rosiak wound up leading the team in tackles. 82 stops, had four forced fumbles. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he wound up being a pretty good find for this coaching staff. If Rosiak stays, I think he will. But if he stays, he's another anchor on that defense. So got to give him some love there. A lot to like about Rosie moving forward. But my biggest cheer on the defensive side has to go to Johnny Newton. No question about it. Five tackles, couple of sacks. We knew entering Saturday, regardless of the outcome, that this would be Johnny Newton's final game for the Illini. He had announced that after the loss to Iowa that he was entering the NFL draft was foregoing his eligibility and was opting out of any possible bowl game. So he went out and he laid the lumber once again. Again, two sacks gives him seven and a half this season, 18 for his career. It's tied for the most by a defensive tackle in program history. Mo Gardner Played in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, also with 18. A phenomenal career for Johnny Newton. But just his energy, his personality, very endearing. The ferocity with which he played, always going to remember that. More than just the sheer statistics of it. Johnny Newton set to make a great deal of money millions of dollars, millions of dollars, millions of dollars, and there were so many games where he was the best player on the field, regardless of position, regardless of side of the ball. You had to worry about Johnny Newton. He was a problem all year long. I thought this was great. I saw Dante Furco from Fox, Illinois. He had posted a video of Johnny Newton staying after the game, Signing autographs, taking pictures with fans, you know, basically anyone who was on the field. He took a moment to soak that in. He's been that humble beast, so to speak. He talked about it after the game that he doesn't see himself as that superstar player that maybe fans see him as. And it was just a nice thing to do, a nice gesture to show his appreciation for the fans. They know what's coming. And Johnny Newton does as well. Not every player is going to take that opportunity. So I thought that was a special moment. And the Champagne Room reposted that initial post saying, we need more Johnnies. We need more players like that to show appreciation to fans, take time out to reciprocate that love that's been given to them. So it'll be sad to see him go but he has earned every single cent that he is set to receive coming up here in the spring. So congrats to Johnny Newton. He's going to be one of the all time greats and Illinois has had a lot specifically on defense. His name is going to be etched along with those all time greats. In my opinion, before I continue with the cheers and jeers from Saturday's game, a reminder that Oski talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can support the movement, support Fighting Illini athletes, as well as University of Illinois alumni organizations and charities by purchasing officially licensed merchandise at Liddyville.com. You can also follow them on X at Liddyville Gear. Once again, L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E. And we thank them for their support of Oski Talk. Shifting to offense now, my next cheer is going to go to Casey Washington. My goodness, what a day for the red shirt senior playing in what's likely his final game in Champaign as well. And he put on a display. Nine catches, 218 yards, and three touchdowns. First Illinois wide receiver with a three-touchdown game since A.J. Jenkins in 2011. He had two 70-plus-yard receptions in the fourth quarter, had a 73-yard catch, and then the 80-yard touchdown, which gave Illinois some hope in that final minute. He's had not just a season filled with clutch catches, but really his entire career. He's been that guy that comes through and you need a guy to go up and get it. Circle back to 2021, that nine-overtime game versus Penn State. Casey Washington was the guy that caught the pass from Brandon Peters that won the game. We fast-forward to week one against Toledo. Luke Altmeyer throws that desperation fourth-down pass. Who's there to catch it? Casey Washington sets up the game-winning field goal from Caleb Griffin. Maryland, same thing, late in the game. Seemingly the game on the line, Luke Altmeyer throws it up. Casey Altmeyer brings it down, sets up the walk-off field goal to beat the Terrapins. And that Indiana game caught his first career touchdown, had made several other catches in that game to extend drives and keep the thing moving. He really developed a rapport with John Paddock late in the year. He flourished with John Paddock as QB. So Casey Washington, on the season, 49 catches, 670 yards, and four touchdowns. All four of those touchdowns were from John Paddock. Also, 22 catches and 375 yards with John Paddock as the QB. So it makes you wonder maybe what could have been if John Paddock had been the starter more than those final three games. But Casey Washington has been a reliable pass catcher, a dutiful pass catcher for four-plus seasons at Illinois. And it took him until, what, game number nine (laughs) of his senior season, his redshirt senior season, to get his first career TD. Game 10, because it was Indiana, Iowa, Northwestern. So game 10, of his red shirt senior season. And they talked about that during the game as well, that he had transferred to Wake Forest, decided he wanted to come back to Illinois. And Brett Bielema was like, ah, I don't know. You left us before. And Isaiah Williams had been the guy that convinced Brett Bielema to welcome him back and, you know, one of the more productive receivers Illinois has had in some time. Isaiah Williams is another guy, obviously in a, a class all of his own. But you know, Casey Washington really emerged as the number two wide receiver the last quarter of the season or last third of the season. He was doing everything he could to help Illinois win that game on Saturday. Set so a 73-yard catch, which set up a touchdown catch later, and then the 80-yard catch. After Northwestern had taken the lead by eight, he gets it in there and cuts the lead to two. He was 1,000% held in the end zone prior to the two-point throw being made. That was a very controversial moment in the game. John Paddock trying to throw the two-point conversion ball, deflected off. A Northwestern defender's helmet and he was just getting mugged on that play. So they, they, they threw the flag initially, then picked it up because oh the ball was tipped, no PI, which I get that. But prior to the pass being thrown, Northwestern is doing everything they can to make sure Casey Washington <laughs> did not get open and they're tugging him. They're bear hugging him. And I got to imagine that's where one of those flags came in from. But the officials gather together, they huddle up, and they determine, no, there's no PI, no holding. I love how Corey Provis, the play-by-play guy, Jake Butt, the color analyst for BTN, and Dean Blandino, the officiating expert, all were in agreement, (laughs) all concurred that Absolutely, you have to throw that flag on defensive holding. Blandino did a terrific job of explaining it. Like, yes, you you don't have the DPI foul because of the deflected pass, but look at what happens before that ball is in flight. Very obvious. And we know, as cynical Illinois fans, if that was Illinois defending that pass, they're throwing that flag and they're not picking it back up. We know that. <laughs> Now, would Illinois have converted the two-point conversion? We don't know. But Illinois loses by two. They get screwed on that play. They don't get another chance to attempt a two-point conversion because it would have been half the distance to the goal. So instead of doing it on the – I think they do this from the three, maybe the two. So you're talking about the one or the one-and-a-half-yard line to do another attempt of some kind. Who knows what happens? But I think – I truly, truly believe if Illinois gets another chance at that, they convert it, overtime gets forced, we assume, and then I think Illinois would have won that game. I do. It's just a dream in my head because we didn't get to see that play out, but but Casey Washington obviously impacted the game to the point where Northwestern had to grab and tug and pull (laughs) to stop him from catching a pass. If the other team is willing to be penalized to prevent you from scoring, you're doing a pretty damn good job. So kudos to Casey Washington. He gets a much-deserved cheer. I'm also going to give a cheer to John Paddock. Did throw two interceptions in the game, but overall completed 70.6% of his passes, 334 yards, and three TDs. Those are winning numbers, and I don't know. It's impossible to know what Illinois would have done over the course of a whole season with John Paddock. I still think Luke Altmyer is fine, but John Paddock had a pretty nice run to end his collegiate career. Comes off the bench against Minnesota, goes three for three, 85 yards, game-winning touchdown. Then throws for 507 against Indiana. Struggled against Iowa a little bit, but I think we kind of expected that going in that air yards were going to be hard to come by. Still played fairly well despite only completing 48% of his passes. A lot of balls were tipped at the line, that kind of thing. But played pretty well. Made some mistakes. He had the two picks. Also took a sack late on a fourth down. But yeah, it makes you wonder. Uh, I think he deserved to get the chance against Iowa, even though Altmaier was healthy by then. I think there was the right decision to ride the hot hand, so to speak. Stick with him. Maybe you reevaluate if you go to a bowl game. I don't know. But again, he just, he seemed to see the field a lot better than Altmaier did at times. I I don't know what happens to Illinois if John Paddock is the starter immediately. Maybe they win two or three more games. And we're not having this conversation about the end of year and all the post-mortem stuff. But nonetheless, John Paddock had a nice game and a nice end to his playing career. And he'll always have that moment. He'll always have that, those two moments, that Game-winning driving, it's Minnesota, and then that epic 507-yard game versus Indiana. I mentioned Johnny Newton being etched in stone earlier. John Paddock's going to be able to dine out on that for a long time. Illinois would certainly not be in bowl contention without John Paddock. I can say that safely. Illinois couldn't get over the hump those final two games, two very winnable games, two opportunities to win. Very little of that is on John Paddock. So, congrats to him. Finishes the season with a flourish. Almost got Illinois into a second straight bowl game. Uh, But John Paddock certainly gets a cheer for me. Also got to give a cheer to Isaiah Williams. There's two sides to this coin, though. Isaiah Williams, six catches, 57 yards in this one. Also had a passing touchdown, On a trick play to Pat Bryant. Really nice offensive game for Isaiah Williams. Not the ridiculous numbers we'd seen him put up the last several weeks, but consistent with what he's done throughout his career at Illinois. Finished the regular season leading the Big Ten in receptions with 82. Notched a 1,000-yard season. 1,055 yards to be specific. He's the seventh Illinois player to do so. It's the ninth thousand yard season in school history. He's currently second in career receptions with 2.14 and fifth in yards at 23.04. Isaiah Williams does have another year of eligibility. If he decides to come back, he's within striking distance of catches and yards. The all-time record for catches is 262. So he'd be 49 away from that. You've got to assume if he comes back, regardless of who the QB is, he's going to get 49 catches and set that record. Yards maybe has some work to do there. But again, one of the all-time greats, I mentioned this last week, An Illinois commit when Illinois was at the lowest of lows. St. Louis area kid, part of that Illinois pipeline, and became one of the all-time great players in the history of the program. One of the most fun players I've ever watched, covered. Just a, a tremendous human being, an exemplary player, but a leader on the field off the field just great getting to know him the last couple of years i hope he stays his pro future is not as secure as a guy like newton a guy like uh, keith randolph he's going to be a pro player but he's not going to be you know first round pick second round pick there's going to be some some conversations to have i i hope that he does return i understand if he doesn't But he could be, statistically speaking, the greatest receiver in program history if he comes back. Not bad for a guy who was recruited to play QB. I hope he comes back. I hope he does. But I got to give him a jeer. Uh, The whole special teams unit is getting a jeer. Specifically the return game. Northwestern had a stretch of nine seconds of play. In which they scored 14 points. The first touchdown came courtesy of an Isaiah Williams muffed punt in the fourth quarter. So right after that touchdown pass, Isaiah Williams throws the TD pass to Pat Bryant on the trick play. Illinois grabs the lead 31-28. It's early in the fourth. We're like, okay. And I, I even said to my mom, I was waiting for Illinois to mess it up. I'll be genteel with my words. I was expecting Northwestern to like run back the kickoff or something like that. But Illinois' defense holds Northwestern, forces them to punt, and then Isaiah Williams muffs the punt. And it gets kicked around, and Northwestern gets it, you know, 18 yards. They have to go 18 yards. Of course they score, regain the lead. Then, on the ensuing kickoff, Canary Wilcher fumbles that. Northwestern recovers that and runs it in for a TD. So without possessing the ball, Illinois gives up 14 points in less than 10 seconds. And just like that, it's 42-31 Northwestern. So while I... Love Isaiah Williams and his exploits as a receiver. He has had a propensity for muffing punts. And this was his third or fourth this season, and he's done so. And that almost directly led to a Northwestern score. The Wiltshire fumble on the ensuing kickoff did directly lead to a Northwestern score. So I kind of hope that Isaiah Williams comes back because I don't want that to be the lasting image of his time at Illinois. He's done so many great things for this program. He's represented the university so well. He's everything you want your star athlete to be. And I I don't want that to be the last memory of him on the field is fumbling a, a, a punt and costing his team a win potentially. But you got to point it out, that was a, one of many big momentum you know, pendulum swinging events in that fourth quarter. We saw both from Williams. The, the pass to Bryant for the touchdown, immediately followed by that muffed punt. So not a good day for these special teams. Uh, Wiltshire was returning the ball very well prior to that. I think he had five runbacks for 118 yards. So he was getting some good yardage on those returns. But the last one led to six points for the Wildcats. Uh, so you got to give them a jeer. So that's it. Those are the cheers and jeers from Saturday versus Northwestern. Does put a bow on a five and seven season. Again, just one and five in the Big Ten West. That, to me, is unacceptable. It's inexcusable. And so many of those games were winnable games. The fourth quarter collapsed against Wisconsin. That's the one that kind of broke me. <laughs> like, it was impossible for Illinois to lose that game, and yet they did. The Iowa game, I mentioned last week I was tapped out after that loss just because... I was in attendance, and I'm just, I'm surrounded by Iowa fans, and I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. Here comes the parade of insults and teasing, and Iowa doesn't try to score points intentionally, and yet here we are, playing into their hands, not trying to score enough, Uh, yeah, just, ugh, So, Brett Bielema ends season number three in Champaign, 18 and 19 overall. Again, 0 and 1 in bowl games. So, 5 and 7, 8 and 4, and 5 and 7. Those are the three regular season marks for Brett Bielema. Historically, over three seasons, it's not where you necessarily want to be, but... It's a pretty good three-year run for Illini coaches. But I got to give a shout-out to my friend Brant Dolce at the Champagne Room for pointing out some of the the bad trends with Brett Bielema. So, Illinois started last season 7-1, and were ranked in the top 25. Since that, they're 6-11. and Brett Bielema is 4-10, and in his last 14 Big Ten games, and for all the Lovey crap, all the Lovey heat, uh, all the Lovey Smith heat, Lovey was eight and 17 his last three years in the Big Ten. Actually, a better winning percentage than Brett Bealimus had in that uh, that time frame. So, Brett is not without criticism. I think that there's. Stuff you need to work on, no doubt about it. I mentioned earlier conversations you have to have about coaching and roster construction. Um, I, I think Brett Bielema's job is safe, at least for one more season. But again, a one and five record against the Big Ten West, this Big Ten West, you could you could justify a firing just based on that. Um, but look, you're adding four new teams and Illinois only plays Oregon next year. They don't play USC and UCLA and Washington. But Brant sort of laid this out for us. We have a, if you look at the rest of the Big Ten, forget about the new additions for a moment. Nebraska will not be this bad again. Wisconsin will not be this bad again. Iowa is going to stay the same or get better. Purdue is going to improve, and you still have Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Ohio State, you want to fire Ryan Day? Be my guest. You are not of this planet if you want to fire Ryan Day for losing seven games in five seasons. Oh, he lost three games in a row to Michigan. Get out of here with that bullshit. 12-team playoff next year. Buckeyes will be fine. I know, being one of the top 12 isn't good enough for Ohio State. Get over it. Get over yourselves. We'll trade you places. You wouldn't last a month being an Illinois fan. So just shove it. And then Michigan State just hired Jonathan Smith from Oregon State. So that's that's a really good hire. Oregon State's a tough place to win, and he did a damn good job there. and he's got to cobble together a roster because Mel Tucker left uh, a mess there in East Lansing, but it's not going to be easy. Illinois could definitely fall into this trap where they're two and ten or three and nine every year. So you've got to have that roster conversation first and foremost. Yeah, you've got to sort out the coaching stuff, but you don't have a replacement for Johnny Newton or Keith Randolph. Gabe Ackes, sure. Again, you can't assume anyone's going to be back. Would not shock me at all if he goes somewhere else. He gets lured away. You need help in the secondary. I think you got to get another quarterback to compete with Luke Altmyer. Another receiver, possibly, if not two, especially if Williams goes away tight end still an issue. The O-line is still an issue. There's a lot to work on. I think the running back room is the only spot where you feel pretty good heading into 24. If Love comes back, that's even better. But if you have Fagan and Loffrey and Jordan Anderson, Khalil Valentine's coming in, I think that's a, a, a good room. There's, there's plenty of moldable clay there. The O-line, you're going to lose Adams, losing Chrysler. Pearl's gone. Slaughter is gone. I mean, there's... Whew, you got some dudes like Brandon Henderson that might end up being okay. But when you look at all the holes on this roster, traditional prep high school recruiting ain't going to be enough. Plucking a couple of JUCO guys isn't going to be enough. You've got to really strike hard with the NIL stuff and the portal. I know Brett Beal doesn't want to do the NIL thing where you're just paying guys to play. It's legal to pay players. You can literally pay players to come to your school now. So you can be that old school guy if you want to be, but you got to modernize the approach. You have to. Oregon's doing it. Oregon's got... A gazillion dollars in Nike money they can throw around like candy. We know USC's doing it already. Washington's probably doing it already. You know, for sure, Michigan and Ohio State are doing it already. You're not trying to compete with those teams anymore. You're trying to stay afloat. You're trying to not be stuck at the bottom forever and ever and ever. You're not competing with Michigan and Ohio State. You never were anyway. If that's what the expectation is, then the experiment's already failed. You couldn't even win the frickin' Big Ten West. Forget about Michigan and Ohio State. Forget about them. You're n- that's not even the same sport. Brent Bielema's got, I think, one more year. Uh, I don't care that he signed an extension. I don't give a damn about any of that. That means nothing. Texas A&M just paid Jimbo Fisher like $75 million to go fishing. They're almost as delusional as Ohio State fans. Almost. Not quite, but pretty close. I don't want to be Vanderbilt. I don't want to be Indiana, who just fired their coach, by the way. Brent Bielema has done a really good job of raising the floor in which Illinois is competitive seemingly every week. We've seen that. There have been a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, that's been true. They've been a more competitive team. It's not a guaranteed win on the schedule anymore, like it was for decades previously, where Illinois was your homecoming opponent every year. That's gotten better, but we're on the precipice of falling back down to that. Recruiting's got to ramp up. NIL transfer portal's got to ramp up and brett bielema is his job's going to be safe i'd be stunned if he's not the head coach next year but you got to bring in some coaches that know how to play the recruiting game that are the salesman types that can work their magic and bring more players to champagne if not we're staring down the barrel of three and nine and two and ten for the next decade unless you can get Ryan Day or Urban Meyer (laughs) or somebody like that to come in, good luck to you. So as I said last week following the Iowa game, I was kind of tapped out at the end of the season. I didn't mean to talk about this for an hour. Wasn't really my intention, but there are going to be a lot more of these discussions happening. And I think they're happening probably... As I'm speaking. Josh Whitman's got to do some soul searching. He might have some other coaching searches to do. In the offseason. For some other sports. But. I'm not optimistic. Not optimistic at all. About the future. I, I'm not. And I'll be glad to be wrong. If Illinois. Pulls a rabbit out of their hat. And they go 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. But if they're. If they won more than four games next year, I would be stunned. Look at what Coach Prime did at Colorado. and they went 3-0 and and people were already booking their tickets to the national championship game. Oh, my God, look at what he's done. Yeah, uh, you beat a mid-TCU team that didn't make a bowl game. You beat a mid-Nebraska team that didn't make a bowl game. And you beat a mid-Colorado State team. They didn't make a bowl game. You beat three, five, and seven teams. Woo! And then you beat the worst team in the Pac-12 by, like, a field goal. Everyone's looking at Prime as the example. Oh, he had 97 new players or whatever it was, 87, 85 new players. That's not going to work. Not right away. But, yeah, you're going to have to bring in probably 20 to 30 new guys at least in the portal. I think it's going to take that. I really do. Forget about the recruits you've got right now. You hope that you can keep those guys in-house. But in the portal, I think it's going to take at least 20 to 30 guys. I really do. And I'm not talking about dudes from Conference USA or guys from, you know, the big sky. (laughs) You know, it's going to need to be impact guys, specifically on defense, because... The way this is currently set up, Illinois is going to give up 40 points a game on defense. I don't give a damn who the quarterback is. Luke Altmaier, Trey Petty, Donovan Leary, Tom Brady. It doesn't matter. That defense is going to be wretched next year unless they do some serious overhauling. So it won't be the last time we talk about football, but it's not going to be about any games. It's going to be about roster management, Players coming and going, and most likely some coaches coming and going as well. And that is going to do it for Oski Talk. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, you can always check out previous episodes at thechampaneroom.com or download and subscribe to Oski Talk wherever you get your podcasts. So, football is in the rearview mirror, at least as far as games being played. The transfer portal officially opens on December 4th, so there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking, no doubt. I said earlier I'm expecting probably 20 to 30 names coming in via the portal. You might see more than that leaving. I don't know, but December 4th is the first day that the portal officially opens for players to sign. Of course, you can transfer at any time but december 4th is when they can officially commit to new schools so i'm intrigued at what illinois intends to do to shake up the roster because i think it's it's very much needed as we venture towards 2024 i'll be back to discuss more Illini hoops that's going to be the prevailing theme of the show Really, until we get into March, obviously, we'll have some transfer stuff, some news that comes through for other sports. But it's going to be primarily basketball moving forward here for the next few months. And I'm just hoping that Brad Underwood and company, Shauna Green and company, give us a lot more good moments so the seasons have been about According to plans so far, we just don't want to see a repeat of football season. Long way to go, obviously, still in the embryonic stage of the season, but I'm hopeful for basketball. I think both the men's and women's teams are set to do good things. I think both teams are going to be tournament bound, but we'll have lots more to discuss here in the weeks ahead on Oski Talk. Make sure to follow The Champagne Room on social media, Facebook, Instagram, X, and talk to you again very, very shortly. I'm Drew Pastorek, ILL.